The Bible reading for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? <clears throat> Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us, encourages us, and is truth that we can trust. We pray this morning that you will speak to us through the reading and also through your servant, Shannon, as he brings to us the word of truth. We pray that it will make us wise for your service. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to us who have been called, he is the power and the wisdom of God. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I have something here with me that is an absolute treasure. Some people might think it's a bit silly, but it is actually treasure. Who's heard of the term, one man's trash is another man's treasure? Well, I think that's what it will be true for this thing that I'm going to show you. This thing is really, really powerful. It can fly. What I have here is a flying rabbit. Check it out. I don't know if you can see it, but... This thing, to me, was just a bunch of rubbish put together, and I think, what the heck is that? Let me tell you the story, where it comes from. It's the Jacks. Now, for years, the, Jacks fa the Jack family would have a family night, a night where uh, one night of the week they would get together and do different activities and games where... It was uh, just a great uh, family bonding time. And one night, the activity was to get a box of stuff, like craft stuff, and, be, and create something, make something. And Martin made this flying rabbit out of pipe cleaners, a pom-pom ball, a couple of little tiny pegs for ears, and he called it the Flying Rabbit. And then uh, all the kids loved it, so he put it up on the wall. And it sat on the wall for years and grew in power. 
You think, how the heck can that be powerful? It's a piece of rubbish. Well, every, it's, it's that powerful now that the kids fight over who's going to get it when their parents pass away. Because it reminds them of family night. It reminds them of the value of family. Times when their family would get together and have fun. So it has become a powerful family heirloom. So, this flying rabbit, it might look like junk, but it's actually powerful. I'll sit it up here. It's not going to sit. That's all right. Right there. All right. Just like this rabbit, the gospel is both foolish and powerful. One man's trash is another man's treasure. The gospel is trash to some and treasure to others. Today we're going to look from what we've heard read, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. We're going to see that the foolishness of the cross is actually God's power. The foolishness of the cross is God's power. As we've seen so far, Paul addresses the division and disunity in Corinth, in the church. The church was gifted and Christians were glorying in the men and wrongly evaluating their gifts. They were tempted to boast in themselves and their leaders. And they'd forgotten that the Christian existence depends not on their merit, but on God's call in the gospel. Paul reminds them that the wisdom and the power of God in the gospel so that they would not boast in themselves or in any other, ones, any other person's wisdom, but in the gospel alone. There are four key points that I want to highlight today. And you should have them in your leaflets. And that is that the God, one, the gospel is the wisdom and power of God. Two, the gospel is foolish to human wisdom. Three, the gospel makes human wisdom foolish. And four, we need to trust that the gospel is God's power to save. Let's get into it. First of all, the gospel is the wisdom and power of God. When we, see, when we look at verse 18, it says that for us who are being saved, the message of the gospel which is Christ crucified on the cross, is the power and wisdom of God that saves. It is the only way to be saved. We need to understand this. Being saved doesn't mean that we're not saved yet or salvation takes a long time. You see, salvation is in three parts. It is past, which is spiritual, the moment we first believe. It is present, which is moral, we're more, becoming more like Christ every single day and less like our old selves. And it is future, which is physical, when Christ returns and brings fulfilment to the gospel and we're made new. The power is in the message, the word of the gospel. It is the same power as the word that created the world. God said, and it was so. So when people hear and believe this word, that moment they are saved for eternity. The cross is powerful because it rids the world of division amongst people groups. 
We have Roman or barbarian, Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, South African or Australian, Victorians or South Australians, Port fans or Crows fans, it doesn't matter. The cross unites us all. The cross makes one division only. It is those who are perishing and those who are being saved. What separates them is their response to the word of the cross. And verse 24 says that the cross is wise. It shows us the mind of Christ, that God's way is selfless. It brings God the greatest pleasure to redeem us. Through the cross, Christ defeated sin and death and won the victory of eternal life for all who would just believe. Through the cross, the curse and consequence of sin are taken away. Life and relationship with God are restored forever. Everything that people have broken, the cross restores. The cross is powerful and wise. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment of our sin that we deserved before a just and holy God. He died the death our sin deserved. And though, although he was pure, he was innocent and didn't deserve to die. He defeated this death by being raised back to life. So whoever believes in this work of Christ on the cross will share in this eternal life. Christ didn't come. Christ did not come to the world as a warrior or a political leader or any hero that we can think of that could restore peace on earth. Instead, Christ chose the complete opposite way, a way that people in their right mind cannot understand. In fact, it seems ridiculous, foolish. And this leads us to our second point, that the gospel is foolish to human wisdom. Yes, the gospel is powerful to us who believe because it brings salvation, but it is also foolish to those who don't believe. Verse 18 also says that the message of the cross is foolishness to all who don't believe, who are perishing. It is garbage to those who in rebellion against God cling to non-biblical worldviews. Worldly wisdom that Paul refers to here is people's learning and reasoning or looking for wisdom apart from God. The trait of utilising knowledge and experience with just common sense and insight. It is the world order opposed to God which is driven by lust, greed or, or pride. The pursuit of success and superiority without or against God. To pull the wisdom of the world, both Jewish and Greek at the time, seemed to arise clearly out of man's rebellion against God. His refusal to bow the knee and his determination to make God fit his own ideas and desires. I'm sure we've all heard things from people like, it's my life, I can live however I want. I can believe whatever I want to believe. Or, there's no God. How can you believe in a God? Or even some, yeah, yeah, God's up there, but 
He wants nothing to do with us. People come up with all sorts of ways or things to try and hide the truth about God. In verses 22 and 23, if we look at that, we see that it is foolish to the Greeks. The Greeks were very intellectual, seeking for philosophical explanation of the universe, being valued by their fine words and clever speech. They were thinkers who loved to speculate on ideas and who needed rational evidence for anything that they believed. Sounds like our culture. It is the philosophy that gave birth to so much of the thought and scientific methodology that characterises our Western world. They found it impossible to view God in personal terms. They viewed God's with the total inability to feel. So a God who suffers was a contradiction to their God of necessity who was utterly detached and remote. Also, to the Greeks and Romans, Jesus was branded throughout the empire as one of the vilest of criminals. He was crucified. The Greek mind found the preaching of the cross, which is God reconciling the world to himself, both incomprehensible and ridiculous. So we see it was foolish to the Gentiles, but it was also a stumbling block to the Jews, God's people. It was stumbling blocks to the Jews because Christ, because the crucified Messiah did not fit their view of how the Messiah would bring victory, his kingdom and reign on earth. Also, because the law says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. What did Jesus do? He hung on a tree, on that cross. They don't believe that the Messiah had to come to be the curse for us. How can the all-conquering Messiah end his days hanging on a tree? To them that proves that he cannot be the Messiah. There is no wisdom in that message. It's nonsense. The story of God humbly coming to earth as a man, born of a virgin, that's laughable, to grow up in manhood virtually unrecognised, to go about doing good and healing, healing all kinds of sicknesses, performing all kinds of miracles, living a sinless life, really? To surrender his life to the hands of men, to die the death of crucifixion as a common criminal, All this defies human wisdom and understanding. But it's true. This is the way that God shows. The cross is also nonsense because it represents such an offensive worldview. It is an assault on the values of power and glory and honour and success so dear to the Corinthians and many other societies even ours. It is the lifestyle that is most offensive. Self-sacrifice. Loving others above ourselves. Even more so, loving our enemies. 
forgiving those who don't deserve forgiveness. Forgiving those who wrong us, even when they're not sorry. Why would you do that? The gospel is nonsense to those who don't believe. God doesn't argue against the wisdom of the world. Instead, he acts in power. The gospel's best defense is men and women who are being saved as they respond to the word of the cross. Which leads us to our third point, the gospel makes human wisdom foolish. Now what I mean by this is in comparison to each other, one, only one, has the power to save for all eternity. The wisdom of the world is not automatically bad. In fact, it is good. You see, God has created people as intellectual beings. We reflect the image of God when we learn and when we create. We have many benefits of this that we live with every single day. The benefits of science and technology, medicine, many discoveries. Many inventions. There is so much in the world that we've come up with that we benefit from. They're not bad. So what makes them bad? Why is it foolish? You see, it is when these things empty the word of the cross of its power that it becomes foolish. Viewing life without God and the cross, for example, when we rely on these things to save us or to live by or understand where the world comes from and where it's going, Human wisdom is foolish when it puts its trust in anything other than the cross to satisfy our soul, our soul's desire for eternal peace. I'll say that again. Human wisdom is foolish when it puts its trust in anything other than the cross to satisfy our soul's desire for eternal peace. And deep down, everybody has that desire for eternal peace. In verse 19, if you can look at verse 19, Paul quotes from Isaiah 29, 14, prophesying that God will destroy the wisdom of the wise. There, Isaiah predicts that God will abolish the worldly wisdom by which the politicians of Judah hoped to encounter the threat of Assyrian aggression, ignoring God. This would result in their destruction with their wisdom being brought to nothing. This wisdom of Hezekiah's advisors was exactly like that which was trying to magnify itself in Corinth. People were looking to the wisdom of men rather than God. And God warns that this human wisdom, in contrast to his, will be destroyed, brought to nothing. We then have a glimpse of the future in verse 20. Paul refers to the wise, Greeks glorying in their wisdom. The scribe, we have the Jewish Pharisees and teachers of the law. And the disputer, both Jews and Greeks. All three experts in their field, being brought to nothing. On that day, on the day that Christ returns, all the ways people come up with to replace God 
will be brought to nothing. Then we go to verse 21, which brings a curveball, and I believe is the highlight of the passage. Verse 21 tells us that it is in the wisdom of God that the world in its wisdom does not know him. Hang on. Did that sound like uh, just read? In the wisdom of God, the world in its wisdom does not know him. So God in his sovereignty has made it impossible for people to find him based on their own reasoning and intellect. God in his sovereignty has done this on purpose, made it impossible for people to find him from their own reasoning and intellect. How and why? Why why would he do this? Let's look at how. The gospel is simple. It's not hard to understand. Somebody coming to be a sacrifice for someone else's bad things. Dying in the place of another. It's pretty simple. In fact, the gospel is so simple, it's too simple to be true. It is so simple that it confuses the most intelligent people. The wise of the world stumble at its simplicity. You don't need to be smart or have a high IQ to understand the gospel. Okay, so can we see how? But why? Why? Why would God do this? So that we have no reason to boast in our salvation. Salvation is totally dependent on God. The wisdom of the gospel shows that there is absolutely nothing people can do to be saved. There's nothing people can do to find God. They are utterly powerless and helpless. And in our helpless state, we need to be humble and lean on our need for Christ and the total dependence on him crucified. God shows that knowing is less a matter of intellect than a humble character and pure motives. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, The wisdom God requires on our behalf is humility. Worldly wisdom will never satisfy our soul's desire for forgiveness and peace with God. If not viewed through the lens of the cross, worldly wisdom will result in ignorance, which results in death. Salvation to all who believe rests on God's power alone. And this moves us to our final point that we need to trust that the gospel is God's power to save. If salvation depended on wisdom, what hope is there for the unwise, for the not-so-smart people? If it depended on strength, what hope is there for the weak? God chose the weak and foolishness of the world so that all might be humbled and have no reason to boast. It equalises all people, weak and strong, wise and foolish, rich and poor, trained and untrained, 
In the cross, God puts all people on the same level, cancelling out all human insight on the subject of salvation and redemption. Even in finding God, we as Christians are no wiser than anyone else. Verse 24 says, Those whom God has called. Without God first coming to us, we would never come to him. And in chapter 2, so in a couple of weeks' time, we'll look at how the Spirit works in this, that God has revealed his wisdom to us by his Spirit. Without God's intervention into our lives, we would still be in a foolish state, lost in sin. It's healthy for us to be reminded of who we are without Christ. This puts a whole new level onto God's grace. That if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't even know him. Being saved has nothing to do with anything that we do. So going to church, it won't save us. Being a good person won't save us. Following the right pastor or preacher won't save us. Just believing in God won't save us. These are really good things, don't get me wrong. But without trusting our life in the work of Christ on the cross, they will not make us right with God. Being saved has nothing to do with anyone else. People cannot save us. Remember last week how we looked at, I'm for Paul. Or, I'm for Apollos. It reminds me of spiritual fathers, if everyone knows what a spiritual father is, the person or people that led you to Christ. People can tend to follow, put too much credit or give too much credit to the people that led them to Christ. They wrongly believe that their salvation depended on that person's work. No, that is far from the truth. Sure, God might have used you in your words, but if it wasn't you, it would have been someone else. God would have reached you no matter who did it. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on God and his message. It's not the deliverer of the message. It is the message itself. I'll give you an example here. If you have a room, you're in a room with three or four people and you share the gospel with these people. They all hear the same, exact same message and all understand what you're saying and why. But one person thinks, wow, that is a powerful message, I believe. And the rest think, who would believe that? That is absolute nonsense. How foolish. Why would you believe it? Now, if it was the deliverer of the message, surely they all would have got it the same? No? Because one person out of a group of people comes to Christ from the same message, the same deliverer, 
shows that God has reached down and touched that person and, and, draw, and caused them to believe. You see, it is God who gives us the faith to believe. No other message has the power to save. Adjusting the message won't save. The church needs to heed Paul's warning to not try to improve or replace the words of the cross with words of human wisdom to rid it of its apparent foolishness. For fear of offending people, it is tempting for Christians to avoid the cross to make people more accepting of God and come up with more acceptable wisdom which empties the cross of its power. You might hear messages like the prosperity gospel that God promises us prosperity and happiness and wealth. Or you might hear messages like there is no hell, there is no punishment for people after death, for God's love covers everyone whether they believe or not. The fact is there are messages out there that have been warped to try and be more accepting of people. To believe. You don't need a degree or be gifted to proclaim the cross. Paul doesn't rely on fancy words to persuade listeners. Rather, he relies on the Spirit to persuade through the message of the cross. He trusts that the message of the cross alone will save, and so should we. Lost people need to hear it. So as we share and live out the gospel, we need to have the same confidence in it that Paul did. Yes, we will face rejection from those who don't believe and think it's foolish. But we can also trust that the cross, it's God's power to save. As Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save all who believe. So in closing, just like this rabbit, flying rabbit, the gospel is foolish to some, but powerful to others. The rabbit is ridiculous to everyone outside the Jack family who doesn't know what it represents. And so is the gospel to everyone who doesn't believe, is ridiculous. And just like the rabbit is a powerful family heirloom now to the Jack family, the gospel is powerful to us as Christians because it is God's wisdom and power to save. Most of us have been laughed at and ridiculed for believing this gospel, the message of Christ crucified. But all of us, all of us who believe, have witnessed firsthand that the gospel is God's power to save personal testimonies of God's power to save and change lives are a powerful way to share the cross. No matter how foolish it seems, it continues to save people. We need to persistently trust that the gospel that saved us is still saving people. And it's been so encouraging to see in the last few years here in our church, in our church here, We've seen several people believe this message and say, be saved. Remember, 
Salvation of the lost is totally dependent on God. It has nothing to do with how well we can explain the gospel. There is no pressure to perform or to speak the gospel well enough for people to understand. It doesn't matter how we say it. Even if we feel inadequate or feel like we don't know how to speak or we don't know what to say or whether what we say is good enough, that doesn't matter. Understanding comes from God, even if we feel like we screwed up or we're a failure. It's not up to our wisdom to save, but God's. It is God's wisdom through the message of the cross. The gospel is the wisdom and power of God. And though it is foolish to human wisdom, it, is, it actually makes human wisdom foolish. So we need to trust that the gospel is God's power to save. The foolishness of the cross is God's power. Let me pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the cross. The wisdom of the cross is your power. It is the power for all of us to be saved. Encourage us, Lord. Encourage us to trust in your message, the power of the cross, that it is your wisdom and power to save. May we live with the confidence in the, of the gospel each day in our own lives and how we reflect the gospel to others. Thank you so much. Amen.